the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. Eight of the top ten Irish companies choose to do business with us. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Inside Business podcast. I'm Laura Slattery and on this edition I'll be discussing the latest employment data with economics editor Arthur Beasley in a week in which the unemployment rate dipped below 9%. He'll be talking us through the shape of the Irish labour market as we approach 2016. Also for your delectation today, it's the biggest reimagining of Sky TV in its history, according to Sky. What is Sky Q and will it do what it says on the tin? Our technology expert, Kira O'Brien, will be on the line to explain all. But first, an increase of almost 60,000 in the number of full-time jobs helped bring the unemployment rate down to its lowest level since 2008 in the third quarter, according to new figures from the Central Statistics Office. Arthur Beasley, what do the numbers released this week tell us? Well, they really are quite a positive uh, batch of data, Laura, it must be said. The figures show that 59,400 full-time jobs were uh, created in the year between the third quarter of this year and the third quarter of last year. Uh, And that is significant because the the increase is concentrated on full-time jobs. There's a reduction in the number of part-time jobs. So the quality of, of employment is increasing. The figures also show that in 12 of the 14 sectors tracked by the CSO, the rate of employment is on the rise. And at the macro level, they show that the Irish unemployment rate dipped below 9% in October, following a revision of monthly data to 8.9%. Now, this comes as we approach the end of a year in which the unemployment rate fell below 10% for the first time since the crash. So they show the figures show that momentum really is building in the employment market. So it's dipped below 10% and now it's dipped below 9%. What's the next target? Well, I mean, you'd have to say that uh, 8% will be the next target. Now, quite when uh, a, 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 an unemployment rate below 8% is achieved in Ireland remains to be seen. Uh, we are beneficiaries this year of quite an extraordinary level of economic growth. That growth is projected to uh, slow down a little bit next year. Nevertheless, some analysts do believe that the rate could fall below 8% by the end of next year. Now, what does this all mean in terms of the extent of the progress made? I think we could recall that uh, as far back as, as, er, as early as this spring, the IMF was putting the Irish unemployment rate at 10% this year, with a figure of a little bit in excess of 9% foreseen for 2016. So the 9% has already been breached, and that tells us really that the, uh, the rate at which jobs are being created in, employ- in, in Ireland right now is uh, much greater than foreseen, even by the experts of the IMF and other external bodies. So these figures are robust, but they're also unexpectedly so. Um, I think that is absolutely the case. Now, I mean, I think, you know, it's been clear all along this year that recovery is deepening and that more and more jobs uh, have come uh, on on track. Therefore, they're not really such a surprise right now. The expectation would have been, as the CSO prepared to release the quarterly data this week, that the figures were going to be pretty good. But when you look at where we were at the start of this year, with roughly six weeks left to go in this year, it's now clear that it's been a pretty big year on the employment front. And you mentioned the fact there that these are full-time jobs. So they're not, not just, we did see a period of, of you know, part-time job creation and a lot of 
underemployment. Is that something that we can start to maybe worry a little less about now that we're getting full-time jobs back into the labour market? This is the kind of data from which uh, people draw encouragement because I think the fact was that in the first early phase of recovery as uh, Ireland started to slowly turn around from what was a huge crash with an unemployment rate in excess of 15% in 2012, uh, what was shown in the data was that many of the jobs being created in that very early phase were part-time jobs only. Now, for those who want to work on a part-time basis, that's fine, but the fact is that most people want to work full-time. They're the requirements that people have. They need and to. what the data shows this year is that more and more full-time jobs are being created and also that there are fewer part-time jobs. So that means that people are employed more, they're earning more money. And from the perspective of the national economy, that means there's more money in circulation. It also means that there's more money going into the public coffers by way of income tax and also that the state is paying out less by way of welfare. Okay, so we'll talk a little bit more about the boost to the exchequer in in a couple of minutes. But I just want to ask you first of all, I mean, what kind of jobs are they apart from full time? You know, what sectors are they in, and where are they located? Well, the uh, the two biggest sectors in terms of employment creation in the twelve months to the. Uh, third quarter of this year were in construction and industry. And they are the sectors in which you know many thousands of jobs are being created at this level. However, I think it's also the case that uh, jobs, that employment is on the rise in agriculture, transport, the IT sector, professional services, and a whole load of, a whole load of other sectors. The figures show only show that employment is decreasing only in two sectors. They're the financial insurance and real estate sector. A little bit of a surprise there, given the strength of the financial sector and also the resurgence of the property market. Uh, and also employment also dipped in the wholesale, retail and motor repair sector. So quite what lies behind that, who knows, um, maybe uh, those sectors were already at, at capacity uh, as uh, as the economy turned around and it may be that they are losing employees as they go to other jobs. So those are sectors to, to, to watch in, in, the, in the months and, and quarters ahead. Um, is this jobs growth a little bit Dublin-centric or, or, or are we seeing um, you know, growth across the country? I think it's undoubtedly the case that there are regional disparities and there's some uh, political issue here because clearly there's an election on the way. Uh, but the figures show that Dublin has the lowest unemployment rate at 8%. That's a really low rate for a, a, for a capital city, uh, but it's more than half as much again uh, in certain regions. The unemployment rate in the Midlands, for instance, is in excess of 12%, likewise in the southeast. And only two of the other regions have an unemployment rate uh, below 9%. So, I mean, there is a kind of an aspect here that, uh, that much of the growth is centred on Dublin, and the figures also show that the, the level of employment actually declined in the in the West in this most recent quarter. So, I mean, that plays into the political concern uh, around efforts to ensure that uh, such jobs as are being created in the Irish economy, that's, uh, that the benefit goes beyond the capital city and out into the regions. So while, you know, the CSO uh, data this week, it's undeniably a, a positive set of figures, 
we wouldn't want to gloss over the fact that there are still many regions in the country that are continue to be kind of scarred, basically, by uh, years of, of unemployment. That's absolutely the case. And uh, I mean, in a scenario where you have two particular regions with an unemployment rate above uh, 12%, that must be of concern. And bear in mind also that the figures show that in October, following this revision of monthly data, that the number of unemployed people uh, fell below 200,000 for the first time since the crash. That's still a huge volume of people uh, mm-hmm. who are not at work, uh, who uh, most of whom want to work, and who are reliant on the state. And that is still a serious drag. And even with an, a general macro seasonally adjusted unemployment rate below 9%, the, just a little bit below 9%, the fact remains that in the pre-crash times, the unemployment rate in Ireland was 4.5%. So there's still quite a distance to go to get to that level. So it's an issue that politicians may find uh, voters bringing up when they go knocking on doors in the new year. Do you think the lack of job creation in certain parts of the country? Well, I'd look at, I mean, I think, you know, if, if people are beneficiaries of jobs created, well, then clearly that's a good thing. But if you are still waiting to, uh, to get a job... If if you've been unemployed, well, then clearly that is going to be a concern and it's always going to be a political concern. And frankly, you know, a, a, a recovery in the national economy without the benefit at the level of, at the level of jobs means nothing. But these are, uh, it, it must be said, quite, quite a positive set of figures. We had an, an unemployment rate in Ireland of 15.1% mm-hmm. at the start of 2012. Uh, it's come way back. And can this headline rate of job creation continue? Well, I mean, I think there is some confidence that, that, that it can. I think there is some confidence that the level of, of economic growth, uh, that economic growth will continue next year, albeit at a somewhat lower level than this year. Ireland continues to be a beneficiary of the low valuation of the euro vis-a-vis sterling and the dollar. Ireland continues to be a beneficiary, as well as the eurozone at large, of quantitative easing by the European Central Bank. The economy in Ireland is also a beneficiary, like many other economies, of the low price of oil. So all of these things are for the good. Uh, On the horizon, however, we do have this situation in emerging markets concern that following the weakness in the Chinese economy, that that the other emerging markets in the the neighbourhood of China are starting to to weaken and that that could have an impact on the performance of the German economy, which in turn would uh, make things worse for the Eurozone at large at a time when it is still struggling to pick up. Because Ireland is always exposed isn't it to the, to what's going on in the rest of the world? We're very open, as, as the as the phrase goes. Well, the 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 first lesson for any student of economics in Ireland is that Ireland is a small, open economy, and that mm-hmm. means essentially that you're exposed to uh, whatever is going on in the outside world. But for all of that, I mean, this has been to the benefit in Ireland because the turnaround here was spurred on by the uh, much quicker recovery of the American and British economies after the crash. As the eurozone struggled to overcome the problems it has, so for as long as the United States continues to perform well, and for as long as the British economy continues to perform well, well, then the situation here uh, looks pretty good. But there are risks out, out out there, and those risks are magnifying. It seems to me. So more people in work means higher income tax revenues for the exchequer, as you mentioned, and also more consumer spending. So that's more VAT receipts as well. But 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 there are other pressures created, uh, uh, you know, by these figures in terms of how demand for housing. 
Well, there's demand for housing in terms of people who are who are taking up work. There's the spike in rents, which is uh, really quite serious. I mean, there is a you know quite a deep crisis in the housing market. You have this question over rents. You have the lack of supply of new houses for people to to buy up. Uh, that is a, a stands as a you know as a, a pressure point in its own right. But there are others. There's the lack of uh, brand new office supply in Dublin right now. Now there's a sense that that situation will uh, correct itself over time in the next couple of years as new construction projects underway reach their conclusion. Um, But then I think there is a sense that competitiveness pressures are building. When an economy crashes, costs come right down in an economy. There's a kind of there's a question of a of demand simply evaporating, thereby reducing the overall level of costs in the economy. As an economy turns around and as economic growth picks up, there is a sense that the overall level of costs, business costs, begins to rise, and you get pressures on infrastructure and all the rest of it. Notwithstanding the fact that the uh, inflation rate is very low, and indeed inflation in the last two months uh, at the general level in Ireland has been in in decline. So you've had disinflation. Yeah, I mean, that's quite an interesting point, isn't it? Because the headline rate of inflation, as you say, it, it's 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 not anything to, to, to be uh, concerned about. But people are suffering from this spike in rents. There's a group of people suffering from that spike and they're not maybe seeing any uh, increase in their wages. But yet, at the same time, employers' bodies are you know, may have good reason to fret about wage pressures. So how do we resolve this? Well, look, at I mean, uh, the representatives for small and medium-sized business are always going to give out whenever there's an increase in the minimum wage, such as has been introduced in the recent budget. That's uh, kind of what they do. I think where wages have been increased, they've been increased very modestly. The increases have been uh, rather small. And those kind of increases uh, in no way compare with the kind of increases that have been seen in some sectors of the rental market. So that clearly uh, imposes its own pressures on the people caught in that particular trap. Because whatever the benefits of the lower price of oil when people go to fill the tank of the car, um, it's I think it's a given that the kind of pressures that people feel when it comes to huge spikes in rents uh, are much greater than the benefits they're getting elsewhere. OK, it's another issue for the doorsteps, perhaps. Thanks, Arthur. At Irish Life, we can tell you that 49% of employees in Ireland don't think about tomorrow. They don't have a pension plan. We can help you help them. Because if you're involved in running your company's pension plan, we can administer it for you. With our member-specific investment solutions, online access for employers, trustees and members, and always on smartphone apps. Just call one of our corporate team on 01704 1845. Visit irishlifecorporatebusiness.ie or contact your pension consultant to find out how we can help your company think of tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information sourced for Irish Life September 2014. And now, it only seems like two minutes since the launch of the last next generation television platform, but Sky has been busy setting up a big marquee on London's South Bank this week to unveil its latest one, the splendidly named Sky Q. Kira O'Brien is fresh from the launch. And she joins me on the line from the airport. Kira, the company says Sky Q is a new way of watching TV. Can you tell us a little bit about what's new? What they're actually doing is they're pitching more as a home entertainment system, one that they will expand over time. Uh, but what they started with is two different types of boxes. Um, 
basically the Sky Q, which is your basic box, and the Sky Q Silver, which is the one that they've been really pushing today. That's the one that has a two terabyte hard drive for all your recordings. You have twelve tuners in it, so what you can do is watch uh, up to five channels or five different channels of, on different devices uh, while recording four other programs. So there's absolutely no arguments over TV anymore, and the idea is that. You're no longer, I suppose, limited to uh, you know recording one program while you watch another. You now can pretty much record anything, watch as and when you feel like it. And as usual, they've thrown in the app side of things as well. Um, so you can access your on-demand, you can access your live TV, and with the SkyQ platform, you can access your recordings. Now, there's a slight caveat to that in that it's a sync. So it's called QSync. So what they'll do is... You're at home, you decide you're going to be going out for a long journey, you want to bring some of your recordings with you, so you sync them to your tablet, and then you can take them out, watch them offline, and they're not geo-blocked, uh, they're not limited by where you're traveling, as you might find with some of the, the, the out-of-home apps that they offer. So there's a little bit more freedom freedom with it. I mean, it was using the line, wasn't it not, uh, it's time to set your TV free and some of the exactly. advanced hype. Yeah. Yeah. I think that they've... So what they've basically said is, look, the TV, the, the living room is still the heart of things. You know, and they, they've recognized that and they say, well, we're going to make this a good experience for you if you're watching in your living room. But also, I mean, if you decide to go to the kitchen, you can just pick up where you left off on a tablet. You pause your main TV and then start watching it on another device somewhere else in the house. They also have something called the uh, SkyQ Mini. Uh, if you were a Sky customer before and you wanted to get multi-room, you pretty much have to be hooked up to the dish. Uh, so there was a lot of cables involved. This will actually be a plug-and-play thing that you know, it'll be wireless and you'll be able to just bring it anywhere in the house that you want to have the Sky Connection. So, so if you want to change it yourself, you can easily do it. So, I mean, was there a lot of uh, razzle-dazzle at the launch today? And, and if so, was it justified? Well, I think, that obviously, they're very enthusiastic. Uh, I think it's something different in that they're, they're not just going down the TV on-demand route. They're also bringing in web services to the platform. So they're bringing in YouTube, they're bringing in Vivo, and they've signed up partnerships with a load of content providers, the likes of TechCrunch and GQ. The idea is that it'll bring the best to the web, and it'll bring it all to uh, your SkyQ box and platform within your house. So they're kind of pitching it as an ecosystem rather than a pure TV thing because you'll be able to send your photographs, you'll be able to stream music and they want to be basically at the heart of, of the living room. And I think it's obviously it's a reaction to the fact that uh, streaming services are becoming more popular, they're a bit more flexible. Sky has moved to, to counter that, I suppose, in the past with SkyGo and a few other apps. I mean, the, the SkyQ app for SkyQ subscribers that will essentially replace Sky Go. Um, and they're not getting rid of any of that stuff either. I mean, they are actually still going to be running uh, the Now box in the UK. They'll still have Sky Plus, but this will just be something else that if subscribers want it, they can actually sign up to. So, I mean, Sky Go certainly already is quite nifty and has some, some great content in there, thanks to Sky's exclusive deals with the likes of HBO and so on. But, you, you know, you mentioned the competition there, and I suppose it has been notable that the competition is a bit cheaper than Sky currently is. Do we know anything about how much Sky Q is going to cost? They didn't say and they wouldn't say and refuse to be drawn on in any kind of uh, estimates as to what this is actually going to set you back. Now, what they did say is they want to encourage their customers to use it throughout the home. So you could take from that that, that it should be reasonably priced to get not only Sky Q, but then to add on the mini boxes as well. Um, 
obviously what we might consider reasonably priced and what somebody else might consider reasonably priced is two different things. Um, there is actually one other good point, though, to the mini boxes. If you're a Sky Broadband customer and you have their new hub, the new hub actually has power line network technology built into it. So what it does is it uses the power infrastructure, power lines in your house to uh, extend your Wi-Fi network. So if you have a couple of mini boxes around the house, you can use them as Wi-Fi hotspots. So if you dead zone, not only can you get your TV off the box, but now you can get better internet. So the other thing about SkyQ is that it's uh, UHD ready, meaning it's ultra high definition ready and it, it's capable of showing UHD or, or 4K content. Uh, will this make any difference to viewers in the short term, do you think? Is, there, is, is this something that, that they'll be appreciative of? I think it's very much a future-proofing thing on their part, but they have said that they are going to broadcast in UHD at some point uh, in the near future, but... The problem with UHD is obviously you have to have the equipment that can display, display it to its best effect. And that means for a lot of people buying a new TV. Now, if you are buying a TV at the moment, obviously the option is there. But like with the, uh, the, the HD TVs when they came out, UHD TVs obviously attract a, a slightly higher price. And that will come down over time as they become more common. I mean, you saw what happened with 3D TVs when they came out first. They were massively expensive compared to just a standard HD TV. Now, it's just something that's built in and probably very few people use. Obviously, that the TV companies and the, the TV manufacturers are hoping that people will make more use of UHD TVs and 3D TV. Um, it's an impressive technology if you see it on a big screen. I'm not sure how many people will actually go for it day to day unless the price difference is very very slight okay because i suppose there's a bit of a difference between you know putting the living room at the heart of your entertainment options and sort of turning it into uh, <laughs> turning it into your local cine world uh, well thanks kira yeah. we leave it there and let you board your flight that's it for this week's irish times inside business podcast with me laura slattery sound engineering today was by jj vernon and this podcast was produced by sinead o'shea you can find all our business stories interviews and analysis on irishtimes.com and on the irish times apps but until next week goodbye